Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of volcanoes. Ooh. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is the most famous volcano in Japan, Mount Fuji. Or did I spoil it that it's a volcano? Oh, well. <laughs> I think that's already spoiled. Okay. Well, uh, Mount Fuji is a volcano. It's not just a, a mountain. And it's very important in Japan. It's a symbol of Japan. Yes. Widely used as a symbol of Japan. We want to talk about it because it's a huge tourist attraction. There's lots of things you could do on and around Mount Fuji. And it's uh, deeply affected and influenced Japanese culture and art. Yeah, for thousands of years. I mean, it goes way back. It's been a symbol for forever. Yeah. So let's tell you a little bit about Mount Fuji. Yeah. So Mount Fuji is a dormant volcano. What, what does that mean, Paul? That means that it hasn't erupted in a while. But it's still active. Yes. Like it's not just a mountain, even, even though it hasn't erupted in a while. It's still just, just sitting there waiting. It very know? likely will erupt again. Yeah. But it has been a while. Last time it erupted was in uh, 1707 to 1708, apparently, which uh, I assume that means that it erupted at the end of 1707, kind of rolled over into 1708. I've never personally experienced a volcanic eruption. Yeah. We are I'm, not volcanologists, yeah. so but uh, that's our best guess on why that has yeah. two years range. Yeah, I'm thinking it was rumbling for you know weeks. At least, yeah. right? I'm pretty sure they can spit things out for a while. Yeah. So uh, the name Mount Fuji, no one really knows where Fuji came from. Like, it's that old of a name. But in Japan, they call it Fujisan. Yep, Fujisan. And uh, the volcano is located on Honshu, the main island of yep. Japan, about 60 miles or 100 kilometers southwest of Tokyo. But even from that distance, like you can see it from Tokyo on a clear day. You can, yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's also the highest peak in all of Japan at uh, 3,776 meters or 12,389 feet, if you're into numbers. And uh, another interesting thing is it's not part of a mountain range. Like one of the cool things about Mount Fuji is it just stands there on its own. Yeah, it's just like, right there, Mount Fuji. There's some foothills around it, but there's nothing even close to a mountain next to it. Yeah. And if you've seen a picture of Mount Fuji, one re pretty remarkable thing about it is it's like super symmetrical. It pretty much looks the same from any direction. Yeah, it looks like almost a perfect cone, yeah. other than the little top being cut off because it's a volcano and yeah. it has a crater. And yeah. did you read about why that is? No. Why it's so symmetrical? So it's something called a stratovolcano, which means that... You know, over time it erupted again and again and again and lava kept flowing down the sides. So it's basically just built up of a ton of layers of lava. And since lava, you know, is, is fluid until it hardens, you know, it just keeps running down the side. And you, so you have a really uniform, like smooth slope, basically. That's cool. Yeah. And it, it must mean it erupts pretty straight up because there's some volcanoes I know that like blow out the side, one side of the mountain versus the other. Hmm. So it must be going just straight up. But yeah, I think that's part of why it's so uh, so revered in art and everything because it's symmetrical. It's on its own. It's just a one perfect looking mountain sitting there on the plains. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty striking. And uh, usually, when you see pictures of Mount Fuji, it's got that snow cap too, which is pretty cool looking. Although yeah. that that actually the snow is only there about five months of the year. 
Yeah, five months a year, you get that snow cap. Yeah. Um, it is on the World Heritage List as a cultural site. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote they used is uh, Mount Fuji has inspired artists and poets and has been the object of pilgrimage for centuries. True that. So speaking of the history, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, I mean, this mountain is a big part of not only history, but also art and religion, and just stretching way back. So, um, Paul, why don't you tell us about the religious aspect there? Uh, so... Mount Fuji actually houses uh, Kami, or Japanese deity. Yeah, if you listened to our last episode about shrines, you may recall that. Uh, Mount Fuji is a shintai, meaning that it is a, an object that contains a Kami, or a, a spirit, deity. Yep. The deity enshrined uh, in Mount Fuji is called Konohanasakya Hime. As the best I could get. You don't want to know how many times I tried to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the help, Jason. I thought it was great. You did great, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, she is the goddess of Mount Fuji. Yeah, and uh, she's not only enshrined there. Well, she's mainly in Mount Fuji is the idea. But there are also a bunch of other shrines around Japan that also enshrine that that goddess. That's just how important Mount Fuji is. Yeah, yeah. It's a big deal in the whole country, not just the people that live around Mount Fuji. Mm -hmm. So for hundreds of years, people have been climbing Mount Fuji to pray. Yeah, the peak of the mountain, the summit, is considered to be sacred. Yeah, yeah. Um, But for people that are maybe too weak or whatever to climb to the top of Mount Fuji, there are these things all over Japan called Fujizuka. Did you see this? No. So these are like little tiny versions of Mount Fuji. So just in the middle of Tokyo, you'll come across like a big pile of rocks. And there's like little stairs going up to the top. And then there's a little shrine. I remember being in a Japanese garden where there was a representation of Mount Fuji with gravel, I think. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're all over. I think as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Mount Fuji is a very frequent um, use in Japanese art paintings, poems, literature. Um, it's very often a subject. I actually found a poem that I really liked and I want to share with all of you. Oh, do it. Oh, snail, climb Mount Fuji, but slowly, slowly. <laughs> that is perhaps the greatest rendition of a poem I've ever heard. I thought, well, thank you. I thought it was a touching yeah, I like it. Poem. It is. It's cool. Also a huge tourist destination. Of course. Uh, many people climb the mountain. Many people just view it. There's a whole bunch of points near Mount Fuji where it's just, this is a good spot to look at Mount Fuji. And the place is famous just for that. <laughs> yeah. Like this, the, the Mount, Mount Fuji has like groupies of tourist attractions, you could almost say. That's probably a crude way of putting it. <laughs> but... There's so many attractions that are just like, you could see Mount Fuji from here, so come here. And yeah. people do. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to overstate how big of a deal Mount Fuji yeah. is in Japan. In fact, if we can go back to history for a moment, we've talked a lot by now about Ieyasu Tokugawa, the, the main guy that started the Tokugawa he Shogunate. coming back up. Just yeah. an important guy in history. Yeah, and apparently even he loved Mount Fuji so much 
that he had a tower built at Edo Castle specifically so he could just stand there and look at Mount Fuji. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. I got a few other fun facts about I don't know, places you'll find Mount, Mount Fuji in Japanese culture. Okay. Uh, so on the back of the thousand yen note, find a picture okay. of Mount Fuji. Infinity, the cars. Yeah. Japanese car company, Infinity. You know the logo? It's like a circle with a little kind of indent at the bottom, a little point. Yeah. That's Mount Fuji. Oh, Did you know that? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mount Fuji inspired the Infinity logo. I wonder if that circle's like the rising sun coming up behind it or something, or... I don't know. Maybe the circle just made it look nice. Yeah, I don't know. Also, at Japanese bathhouses, which are known in Japanese as Sento, they'll almost always have a mural on the wall. Like, these are indoor baths, but they'll have a mural of some some nature thing to, uh, you know, make you feel like you're kind of outside enjoying yeah. a hot spring. and it's almost always Mount Fuji. Like you sometimes know, you'll see other things. But. I never realized that, but like thinking back to all the pictures and scenes I've seen that take place in a bathhouse, I definitely knew the murals existed, but you're right. Mm. It's like always Fuji in the background. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. So the biggest thing people do is they climb Mount Fuji. Yeah, about 300,000 people each year. That's a huge number. Yeah, and you know, when I first saw that number, I'm like, okay, well, 300,000, that's... Uh, about 5,000 a day during climbing season. Yeah, I mean, the, the climbing season isn't that long, so 300,000, squeeze that into like two, two and a half months, it's between four and 5,000 people a day, that's insane. Yeah, July 1st through September 10th is unofficially usually the climbing season. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. They have an official website, too, that you can check out for, like, exact yeah, times Yeah, sometimes a rock open. slide or something might change the dates or weather. Yeah. Oh, but before we get into uh, what, it, you know, climbing it today, do you know when the first ascent was? Uh, legend says in 1663, uh, an anonymous monk made the trek. Did I just uh, make a typo here? Because I have 663. I, did I say 16? Yeah, you did. That's crazy. I'm way wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, 663. In 663, an anonymous monk climbed Mount Fuji. Yeah, brave guy. That was cause... apparently the first one to make it to the uh, top. Yeah, and I mean, back then, from what I understand, Mount Fuji was erupting a lot. Yeah, so it, was, uh, it was active back then. And there wasn't a path up to the top like there is today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have had an easy time. Oh, did you also know? So obviously we said Mount Fuji has been considered sacred for a very long time. Did mm -hmm. you know they didn't allow women to climb it until the 1860s? Yes. Until the Meiji Restoration. Yeah. Interesting. I'm and glad uh, women can climb it now. Yeah. Probably because it was like a thing like, oh, only samurai and monks climb it and they're all men or whatever. Yeah. You know, Something men have been like dumb. Men have always done stuff like that throughout history. Yeah. Um, oh, I also have a fun Japanese saying about climbing Mount Fuji. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. A wise person will climb Mount Fuji once in their lifetime, but only a fool would climb it twice. <laughs> uh, I saw that quote right after I just read about some American who climbed it three times and wrote about his <laughs> experiences. <laughs> uh, what a fool. <laughs> yeah. Go climb some other mountain. Get the views <laughs> that you can remember forever. Sure. 
So yeah, uh, you said climbing season is July to September. Somewhere you can around climb in the winter. You can? Yes, but you need to get a special permission from the local okay. government. Yeah, And I... it's a serious thing climbing. Like you need to be a mountaineer. You need to have experience. You need to have equipment. That's not a just, I'm going to go, ha ha, climb Mount Fuji. Yeah. People have gotten lost on Mount Fuji. People have frozen to death on Mount Fuji. Yeah. It's, it's a mountain. You're climbing a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't mess around in winter if you're not experienced. I mean, there are even avalanches on Mount Fuji. Yeah, it doesn't look yeah. like a lot of snow when you're, you know, far away, but bad things It can could happen. erupt on you. It's a volcano. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> trying possible. to scare people, but. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's possible. Not likely, but possible. Yeah. They'll probably know before it erupts. Yeah. So if you are going to climb it, there are four major routes that you can take, and each mm -hmm. of those has numbered stations along the way. And there are 10 stations. So 10 is the very top, one's the very bottom. Most people start around station five. Yeah, because that's the point where you can drive up to with a car or a bus. Yeah. You use station five is the last point you get dropped off at. Yep. And even though it's five, I mean, maybe it is about halfway up the mountain. So Yeah, about. And actually, the, uh, the station fives, depending on which trail you're on, are at different yeah. altitudes. There are four different trails leading up to the summit. Yep. The most popular one is called the Yoshida Trail. There's a lot of parking up there and you can stay the night at station five if you want to like, you know, go up there and. Yeah. I've heard this day. is the most developed one. There's restaurants and you places to stay. You can buy oxygen and food and all sorts of stuff and a lot of stuff along the way. Uh, on the mountain, there's a place called huts that you can stay. Mm -hmm. um, it's places you can sleep. There's a lot of them towards the top of the mountain. So you can spend a good portion of the day climbing and stay at a hut and wake up right before sunrise and get to the top because oh. witnessing the sunrise is one of the most popular things to do on Mount Fuji. Yeah. I mean, people say it's like a religious experience. Like it's really emotional for a lot of people watching, you know, the sunrise yeah. from the summit. It's a really big deal. Yeah. And uh, on that trail, it's the best side of the mountain to get the views of the sunrise. So you mentioned the huts. You can sleep there, but it's not free. You're going to want to bring money. And you're going to need reservations probably. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be like 50 bucks just to sleep there and then 70 bucks if you want uh, meals included. You can do the up and down in a day, but from reading people's experiences, it's pretty killer. Unless you're in amazing shape and you know what you're doing, you're going to want to rest. Yeah, what I saw is the recommended course is uh, hike to the seventh or eighth station on the first day, and then uh, sleep the night at at the hut there, and then you can continue on early morning and get to the summit like just before sunrise. Yeah, and um, it gives you a night to get used to the altitude too. Yeah, like yeah. When we're talking about t over twelve thousand feet, I got altitude sickness one time in California. We drove up to ten thousand feet just in like an hour or something. And then we hiked with our backpacks. I got so sick that night, mm -hmm. like going up there. Altitude sickness can hit anybody. So maybe bring some oxygen with you, a little tank. Yep. If you're not feeling good, stop or go back down the mountain. Take it slow. Don't push yourself. Yep. You're, you want to enjoy it. Yeah, but those huts are going to be there to help you out if you need something. You know, you can buy food, yeah. water, oxygen, and uh, there are bathrooms, but you also have to pay that for those. So yep, bring bring money for sure. Bring some water. You can buy more water along the way, but you want to stay hydrated for sure. Climbing a mountain that tall. Yep. 
So just to give you a rough idea of how long it takes from station five, it takes about five to seven hours to get to the very top. And then it'll take about three to four hours to come back down to station five. So what, let's, let's give a quick little packing list. What do you want to bring if you're hiking up Mount Fuji? You're going to want to layer your clothes because it's going to be hot on the ground. But when you get to the summit, it's going to be cold. It might be wet. It's going to be wintry conditions. Yeah, the weather can change at a moment's notice up there. So you want to be prepared for anything. It's one of those crazy things where you're going to need sunscreen, but you're also going to need a winter hat and gloves. Yeah. Because you're going to experience the full range of summer to winter weather. Yep. You're going to want hiking shoes because even though this isn't particularly strenuous, if you're in reasonable shape... You know, there's some steep, rocky parts, and you're going to want to be prepared, have some good uh, ankle support. Yep. Um, also, we talked about, you know, hiking up before sunrise. So you're going to want a flashlight for sure. Yes. Flashlight, water, snacks. And if you're doing the sunrise thing, especially sunglasses. Yeah, that'd be good. And money. We already mentioned yes. money, but yes. money. Cost you, money. Yeah. If you need money to use the toilets, you need money. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what are you going to see as you walk up? Did you, did you look at any pictures or videos of people hiking up the mountain? Yeah, some of it. When you're in the lower sections, some of the paths have forest, mm. but it definitely clears up as you get towards the top. Yeah. You know what surprised me? I mean, I was expecting like, like I've, I've climbed small mountains before, you know, and usually it's like a, a path, a dirt path. You're walking along. You don't see a ton of people. Um, you know, you'll pass people once in a while, but climbing up Mount Fuji, I mean, we talked about how many people go every single year, Yeah, four or 5,000 a day. And even though there are, you know, multiple routes up the mountain, I mean, I saw pictures of just like a solid line of people. Like there's somebody three feet in front of you, three people behind you. And it's just, you know, this huge line. I saw pictures of like just lines of like 50 people going up the mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, it definitely gets really crowded. So. Yeah, just take it slow. It's going to be slow. You're not going to be powering up the mountain, yeah. but that's probably for the best anyways. Yeah. I did see some cool pictures too of, I mean, in the dark. Well, so we, we talked about a flashlight, but you might want to bring a headlamp too. Yeah. That'd be really if you're nice. going to be climbing in the dark, definitely a headlamp to yeah. free up your hands. Right. And these pictures, you know, you just see a bunch of people in the dark and it's like really foggy. <laughs> so their headlamps are just like lighting up you know, the whole area, like it's diffusing the light. That sounds so cool. I want to climb Mount Fuji so bad. Next time I go to Japan, it's, it's got to be on the list. Definitely, definitely. I got to go July through September. Yeah, it's going to be hot, but worth it. Yeah, but, go maybe uh, in early September. Yeah, man, it looks surreal. Um, so we talked about the Yoshida Trail. So do what are, what are some of the other trails that lead up there? Um, I don't have a list of the trails. I didn't think it was important. <laughs> okay, all right, well... I will mention we've got the got the Subashiri Trail, which actually meets up with the Yoshida Trail, which was the most popular one around the eighth station. But it's relatively uncrowded at the bottom, but has less services, less shops and vending machines. But if you wanted uh, a less crowded run, that's probably the place to start. Although at the top, it meets back up. And it's going to get crowded again above the eighth station. Cool. But I thought that was cool. That's a little more of a get out of the crowd type run. Yeah, that'd be nice. Good to have options. There was also the Gotemba Trail, 
which starts at only 1400 meters. So that's the lowest of the fifth station trails. So you're actually going up the highest from this one. Um, it's the least developed, but it's known for the lava-like landscape all around that you walk mm, through. That's cool. Yeah. And then the fourth trail is the Fujinomiya Trail. It's the second most developed trail, and it's the shortest route to the top. I guess there's less winding in it, maybe. Mm. Um, but there's no view of the sunrise until you get to the summit. Mm. Although, that might actually be cool. I kind of like imagine you're like walking in the dark and if you time it right, you get to the top of the mountain just when the sun's like cracking and like you go from darkness to like beautiful sunrise. Yeah, that could be So cool. that might be cool too. So I don't think you can go wrong whichever trail you pick. Yeah. And along the way on any trail that you choose, I think there are going to be a bunch of small shrines, you know? I'm sure, yeah. And at the top, you know, from from a distance... It doesn't look like the crater could be that big at the top, right? <laughs> but it actually takes an hour to walk around that thing. Like, it's yeah. pretty decent size. There's eight different peaks around the crater. You could walk around and hit each of the eight peaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, another good reason to hike in the morning is that that is the time of day where you're most or least likely to run into a bunch of clouds. That would, okay. kinda, that would be a bummer to get to the top of the mountain and you're just in the middle of a cloud. You just yeah. see nothing but one. mountain gets clouded <laughs> over. Yeah. I think when we went last last time, it was pretty cloudy up up at the top of the Yeah, mountain. I mean, there We could there just clouds, like barely see the peak sometimes. Yeah, there are clouds a lot of the time. You know, if, yeah. if you get a good view of Mount Fuji, you're lucky. Yeah. So we went say. to Japan and I think the bus brought us to the fifth station, yeah, but it, it wasn't did. the time of year where you could climb. Right. It was still snowy up there. Yeah, we but were there we got in good views of it and we got to go to all the tourist shops and stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, should we talk about what's uh, kind of at the bottom of Mount Fuji? Yeah, so there's other things to do around Mount Fuji. Yeah. Um, one of them is the Fuji Q Highland Amusement Park. So it's amusement park in front of Mount Fuji. So when you're riding these roller coasters and rides, you've just got this amazing view of the mountain as you're going around, which seems really cool. Yeah. And it's known for having some of the biggest and fastest roller coasters in Japan. So it sounds like kind of an amusement or a cool amusement park if that's what you're into. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things. Um, also, a pretty notable place at the base of Mount Fuji. This is on the northwest side of the base. You got Aokigahara, mm-hmm. also known as the Suicide Forest. Although really... It's also known as the Sea of Trees. Yeah. Well, I think that's what Aokigahara translates to. Something, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, in the U.S., it's definitely more well-known as the Suicide Forest. Yep. And I don't know. There have been about 30 suicides a year there. But it peaked as much as 80 at one point. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's important to point out that it doesn't have as many suicides as the Golden Gate Bridge. No, it's the, I saw that it was like the third most suicided place in the world or something. Right. But you don't see people calling the Golden Gate Bridge the suicide bridge. Right. That is, that is interesting. So, that is interesting. I don't know. I feel like, but uh, it, it I think part rate. of it is because Aokigahara has a history of belief that it's the home of ghosts. That's true. So folk tales and legends in Japan talk about ghosts and demons haunting the forest. 
Um, and supposedly in the 19th century, poor families left, you know, very young children or old family members there to, uh, you know, have one less mouth to feed, I suppose. I saw that, but I don't know if that's true or if it's part yeah. of the legend. Yeah, it's hard to say. But it's creepy. It is. Thinking about that. Yep. yep. Also, we should mention it's a lava forest. Yeah. So it's at the base of Mount Fuji. So it's all lava there. So it's a forest like coming out of lava. Like we went there to tour ice caves that also happen to be there, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And like just seeing all this lava, like you could see the stages that it like melted in. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. Yeah, it's crazy that all this greenery just rose out of this volcanic rock, yeah. basically. And you and can the, still see the rock. I mean, you can see yeah, actual lava Places flows. where you can really clearly see the lava flows and how they dried up. Yeah. And also, the lava is really porous, so it absorbs sound really well. Mm-hmm. So it's known as like the quiet forest. Yeah. Like you can't, it's just like really quiet in there. It's really cool, kind of creepy <laughs> But awesome, like, yeah. sense I got in there. Yeah, not even, like, a lot of birds or anything you would yeah. normally hear in a forest. You just don't hear much of anything. Yeah, I think it's Which is really maybe cool how up. it got the f- original rumors about the ghost and stuff. Yeah, it could be. And I don't even know if the forest is that old, or I shouldn't say that old, but, like... Relatively. It's built on top of, like, lava flows from, like, 600 AD or something. Yeah. Yeah, those trees have had a, a while to figure out how to survive there. Yeah. Um, but let's, you mentioned the ice caves. I want to talk about that. A yeah, little bit, those, those are cool. fun. Yeah. So there are a bunch of ice caves, also known as wind caves around Mount Fuji. And, uh, and we, we hiked down into one and it was just, it's crazy. Like you got this, you got this forest and then right underneath it, there are just all these big openings, I guess, formed by gas escaping from the earth as the volcano was erupting. That's my it guess. Was, right? It was my first time being that deep in a cave. Hmm. And like that one moment where we all turned our lights off, like, I don't think I've ever felt darkness like that before. <laughs> yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Absolute pitch black is like, like something to experience. And I didn't know black could get that black. Yeah. I was amazed at all the ice down there because it yeah. didn't feel like we were, I mean, it wasn't that cold up at the surface and it didn't feel like we went super deep, but I mean, it's just solid ice. Like, yeah. When you get underground, it, it, the environment can change so quickly. Yeah. Just walls and walls of ice. Apparently it's, it's And like const- these little cones of ice on the floor. And I don't yeah. know if they form from like dripping water from somewhere or something. Yeah, yeah like the same way that stalactites and stalagmites Yeah, they're like ice stalactites. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah. Apparently it is always like three degrees Celsius down there year round, <laughs> uh, 80% humidity. Just constant. So it's That's like a crazy. perfect natural refrigerator. And people, I can't remember all the details, but people have been going to those caves for like hundreds of years. Yeah. They've even been using them as refrigerators for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they used them for. Yeah. Why not? Put, go throw some food in there and pull it out later. Yeah. I saw that they, they kept silkworms down there because they would have, you know, silkworms were, were big in Japan. Silk was a you know major industry. Yeah. So... They would have these silkworms that would make their cocoon, and the cocoon is what's, you know, where the silk comes from. But they don't want the worms to mature and break out of their cocoons because that would ruin the silk. So what they would do is bring all those cocoons and keep them down there in the natural refrigerator 
so that they would stay in the cocoons longer and they could process the silk. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. It's yeah. also kind of genius too. Yeah, totally. And they did that up until as recently as the 50s. So if you didn't have ice caves, you just have to constantly be breeding new silkworms? I guess so. I something? guess you just need to work with them a lot faster. Okay. Yeah. You can stall their development with cold. So that's so cool that like you can go to the Mount Fuji area and you can, vi- you can visit a volcano, a lava forest, and ice caves <laughs> in the same day. Yeah. Like that's the extremes of nature that you're like seeing there. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And did you even mention the paragliding or? No, you could paraglide off of Mount Fuji from like the fifth station, the place you can bus up to. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. I'm sure that's an amazing view as you're gliding around down. Yeah, that'd be awesome. There's cycling tours. So you can like bike around the five lakes of Mount Fuji and just get all the amazing views you probably spend all day on your bike just mm. with the most amazing scenery. Also, there's a temple and a shrine closely related to Mount Fuji. The temple is Taisekiji, and it's in the foothills of Mount Fuji, and it's the head temple of the Nishiren Shoshu Buddhism. Uh, it was founded in 1290, and I looked at some pictures of it and it's just, again, it's like a temple with Mount Fuji in the background. It just looks so cool. Yeah. So that seems like a cool place that you could visit while you're in the area, especially if you're not going to climb the mountain. It's like something you can go do. And for the shrine, it's Fujisan Hangu Sengen Taisha. Um, it's in the town Fuji Nomiya. And what I thought was so cool about this is the shrine actually includes all of Mount Fuji above the eighth station Hmm. is considered to be part of this shrine because that's the part housing the kami maybe would be my guess. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So they don't have like a, as we talked about in the last episode, they wouldn't have a honden, I believe it's called. Right. With the, uh, you know, the, the object housing the kami because the the kami is. itself. Right. Yeah. Very cool. So that's cool. Um, also, they have their main festival every year is May 5th. So if you're in Japan around that time, and that features uh, Yabusame, which is traditional mounted archery. So they do mounted performance archery. of mounted archeries. They're running around on horses shooting stuff Sweet. with arrows. How is mountain archery different mounted, than normal? Mounted. Oh, mounted so on, on a horse. horse. <laughs> archery on a horse. I get it now. <laughs> yes. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So that seems like a cool, cool festival. And uh, the temple was actually built during a time of volcanic activity. So it was spewing lava everywhere. So they built this shrine to appease the kami of the mountain Hmm. and calm it down. Awesome. Yeah. So I thought that might be a cool place to drop by if you're in the area too. Totes. That's about all I got on Fujisan. All right. That's all I got, too. Sounds like that is the end of the episode. If you want to see some cool pictures, you can check out our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And uh, what, is, what episode can they expect next week, Paul? Next week, we will be talking about the ancient and magnificent sport of sumo wrestling. That sounds fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to learn more about sumo. I don't know much, but every time I've seen it, it's so exciting. 
Yeah. And I've never uh, even really seen much. Neither of us have seen it live, but that's about to change, isn't it? It is. On my next trip, I'm going to one of the big sumo tournaments in Fukuoka. So that'll be pretty cool. And I'll, I'll be sure to bring back a lot of cool pictures and fun info about that. You better, because I'm so jelly. <laughs> I really want to go see live sumo. It's a lot of like tradition and preparation, but when it happens, it's so exciting. Totally. But we'll get into it next time. Yeah. Look forward to that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.